0: Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your
1: Christian faith
0: and to bring healing
1: to a broken world. And as we stay in this moment of worship, you know, last week we talked about defining and dethroning idols. Anybody define some idols last week? Maybe you've seen them. Become dethroned. You know, as we worship, you can't forget to talk about that there's always something that's rivaling for your affection, rivaling for your attention, rivaling to be first place in your life, something other than God. We also define that idols can be a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. Many times there's subtle idols that are burrowed deep within our lives. You know, I love when we're in the presence of God like we are now. There's something so freeing when you just lift your hands or you bow low because you're posturing yourself in the physical to say, Jesus is Lord. He is supreme, there is no rival. And I'm going to use my body as a point of worship to say, he is number one, he is first place. You know, many times, especially in modern church, Western church, we can come with the mindset that we come to church to get something, get a good word, get a good worship service. But we come into God's house to give him something. You're not giving pastor something. You're not giving the church something. You're not giving the 501c3 something. Don't see it that way, but you're giving him something. And the thing I know about God, is when you're in a place of lack, when you're in a place of need, when you're in a place of searching and seeking, is you gotta give him something to work with. You gotta release some faith. You gotta remind yourself that he's a way maker. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper. He is a light in the darkness. And see, we're in a series on what does the Bible say? And you should know this about me by now. This isn't gonna be just a cut and dry kind of sermon. We're going to be stepping on toes. There's going to be things said that isn't welcomed in pop culture or isn't welcomed um, in circuit, certain circles or, or, or environments or atmospheres because it's not just broad and easy to intake. Um, you see, Peter says, if you read First Peter, one of his hallmarks is he says to be vigilant. He says to be awake. He says to take watch. And so when we talk about heavy things as a church, it's not just saying we're gonna weigh you down at the start of your week. But what my heart is, is that you be vigilant. You be awake to what is happening in the world. And you be armed and guarded with the armor of God, biblical truth, a right worldview. Because the big idea today, and we'll give and we'll worship, is the only way we will flourish is when we are rightly related to the Father. We're talking about what God says about family. And I'll say it again, the only way that we will flourish is when we are rightly related to our Father. That's where family flourishes. That's where your worship will flourish. The Bible talks about when we pray that we don't pray amiss. See, there's times and places we can miss it. We're not fully present or we're not fully aware. We're maybe lacking because of knowledge we know the scripture says that people perish for what? For a lack of knowledge. And when you get into it and you study that, it's a, it's a slow death that happens in your life. You don't just die all at once because you don't know. But what you don't know can hurt you. And we live in a world that says ignorance is bliss. Well, when it comes to the things of God, ignorance is not bliss. You've gotta know his word. You've gotta know the people of God. You've gotta know the word of God. And you got to be in a place that welcomes and fosters and moves in the spirit of God. These are the weapons of our warfare. And I believe as you give today, every time you give and you give into God's house, you release faith. You release what God is wanting to do in and through your life. It's saying, I'm not coming empty-handed. Yes, I'm singing. What did we say established last week? Worship is not just singing, but it's living. And I pray this week that you lived a life of worship. You lived a life of worship. I know I did cleaning a lot of dirty dishes this week. That's my job after dinner. I was worshiping and cleaning.
0: He's really good at it, too. (laughs) That's why I tell him, like, babe, you're really good at doing the dishes. (laughs) I've
1: mastered the art. It's like, of course. Thank you for encouraging me in that place. I'll keep doing dishes all day, every day.
0: We've got to take up our load, right?
1: We do. That's my load to bear, my cross. Uh, But I pray that you Take what is happening here And applying it there Because this is not the place Where ministry is supposed to happen In its fullness You get ministered to here You get equipped And then the saints are to go And to do the work of the ministry In the marketplace Do the work of the ministry With your family With your home And your marriage So as we open God's word As we give Release faith Trust God Worship him because life doesn't happen, Faith, a faith walk is not giant steps a lot of the times. It's baby steps, it's backwards a few steps, it's forward. But faith, when you when you live in faith, you always fail forward because God works in your brokenness, God works in your failing, God works in your messes, God works in your tests. So wherever you're at today, fail forward. God's with you, his grace is girding you, his mercy is new, anybody thankful, that his mercy is new this morning, that we can boldly, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and we can worship him because of who he is. There's nothing better when you know him, you fall in love with him and you live a life of worship by what you sing, by what you say, what you live with your head, heart and hands. Father, as we give this morning, we thank you that it's a joy. Father, we repent of sin. If we want refreshing in our life, it comes through repenting. So, Father, we repent of sin done in ignorance, sins we've committed with our head, heart, or hands. We thank you. You are a gracious, good, loving, trustworthy Father. And God, as we give today, we give our best, we give our first fruits, we bring the tithe. And God, we honor you, not just with what we can give, but we honor you with our lives as it is a perpetual gift of honor, of incense, of praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to joy to worship you in the house today and to give. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: You can remain seated. And I don't have enough words. how I thank the Lord for saving me when I was weak, so I will sing, this is why I thank the Lord for everything, this is why I thank the Lord, and all of my affection, and everything I have to give, the sum of my attention. Measured in the praise I live. So, this is how I thank the Lord for saving me when I was weak. So, I will sing. This is how I thank the Lord for everything. This is how I thank the Lord. And this is how I thank the Lord for loving me and keeping me. So I will sing, this is how I thank the Lord for everything. This is how I thank the Lord. And I will sing, I will sing, I will lift my praises to you. I will sing, I will sing. This is how I praise the Lord, cause this is how I thank the Lord for saving me when I was weak, so I will sing. This is how I thank the Lord for everything. This is how I thank the Lord, and this is how I thank the Lord for loving me and keeping sing this is how I thank the Lord for everything this is how I thank the Lord 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 this is how
1: Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your spirit is here. As we open your word today, we've looked at what it means to, what a life of prayer looks like, of how we engage with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, that we look at last week, what a life of worship looks like. We saw that the Exodus story was a story of God's people being set free to live free. And it was so that they could be set free, not for the sake of freedom itself, but freedom to go and to worship. God, we know that you want to set us free, that you want to remove the bondage that this world puts on us. You want to remove anxiety, depression, fear. And God, this morning, one of the most, Touchy subjects, one of the most hardest uh, yet most rewarding um, ministries, missions that we're a part of is family. We thank you that you just don't work through the individual, but you work through families. You work through legacy. You work through generations. And Father, we just take a moment as we're praying And let's just take a moment, everyone. Maybe you're sitting by your spouse. Grab their hand and just pray a blessing for your family. Pray for your children. Whisper their names. Pray for your grandchildren. God, we thank you that you want to get involved in families. Families that are far from you. Maybe we have extended family that are prodigals. God, we believe you can do a miracle. You're a way maker. You can build bridges. You can call the prodigals home in our lives. God, maybe we have family members that are addicted, drugs, pornography, sexual addictions. God, that you can break the yoke of addictions with one touch. You can invite a process, a testimony. You can open purpose like never before. Father, we rebuke the one who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking families to devour. We say he does not have authority over your body, over your people. God, we even gird up generations that aren't even here yet. God, that the decisions we make today, the lions, the lions we draw in the sand, the boundaries we set, the faith we release, the walk of the Spirit, God, that we are and guarding and pleading the blood over what you long to do, not just today, not tomorrow, but generationally. I thank you that legacies are in this room, that Holy Spirit, you long to break through and to release breakthrough. We trust your timing. We trust the seasons. But if there's moments of breakthrough that are ready to eclipse, to come forth, Holy Spirit, let it be done in Jesus' name. We honor you, we worship you, and we thank you, and we trust you with our families today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike. So I want to start off, I want to read a little bit about what the Bible says, and then I want to jump right in and not to burst your bubble right off the bat, but when we think of of family, um, we've got to, if you look at just the teaching of Jesus, what scripture that Jesus brings forth about family, Jesus does not carry a sentiment in regards to family. You know, our Western mindset worldview can easily portray and how we archetype a family, how we architect a family, prototypes of families that have gone before. We can Value family to a place of um, where it can become an idol. We can value family that if I get really serious about Jesus, it can cause some, some pain or it can cause some separation. It can cause some division. Um, when it comes to faith, we can kind of tiptoe around certain family members, certain ideas. But when you actually read what Jesus says about family, it is striking and I think we can overlook some of these texts and some, overlook some of these scriptures. Now, you have to understand family, um, so goes the family, so goes faith. So goes faith, so goes the family. That family is the building block that God gives us to build society, to build culture, to build country, to build um, relationships. That God's, God instituted the family. Two institutions he created was the church, and was the family, the church, and the family is not the world's idea. The church and the family is not man-made. It is not man's word. It is designed, destined, and or preordained by God, of how we're to exist relationally, how we are to um, uh, child bear and child rear. God gives. Uh, you've heard the word nuclear family thrown out in the last several years. If you've turned on any kind of piece of news, read any of um, literature, you'll see this this um, deconstructing of what's known as the nuclear family, the, the biological family. There was an article that was even written in 2022, and it was front cover of the Washington Post, and it said, is was the nuclear family a mistake, saying that traditions and values in our country have changed to where the nuclear family is no longer the way um faith is forged no longer the way that children are cared for, that there should be other ways we can raise and care and protect and do life together other than the unit of the biological family. See, the thing we have to understand, and I know we would all agree with, is what God creates Satan counterfeits. So God created these institutions of the family and the church so if God created the family and the church, what are the num- number one and number two things that he's coming after? The family and the church. So we live in a world today from the beginning. We could start at uh, Genesis chapter one and look at our first parents, Adam and Eve. Look at where they walked with the goodness of God to then where they, uh, sin entered in, how everything changed. We can go through... Um, uh, prototypes in the Bible, and let me say this about the Bible too, since our series is what the Bible says, is the thing I love about God's word, it is, it is absolutely honest. When we think of how we architect our lives or our families, we're good at just putting what we want everybody to see to filter our lives. So we usually filter, um, but then you think of the critics in your lives, the haters that are gonna hate. Uh, They love to show all of the nonsense or the critique of your life. So you have two polar opposites. Usually we have a critic at some point in some moment in our lives that wants to only showcase and broadcast that which is critical. And then you have um, usually how we filter our lives where we wanna show the best. We wanna show a good resume, show a good pedigree. Uh, But what I love about the Bible is it shows the good, the bad. And if you get into Genesis, you're gonna see the ugly of God's first family. And so I love the honesty that things weren't filtered or things just weren't so negative that we are left in a hopeless pit. But when we choose to keep God first, when we choose to fight for family and fight for, uh, to be in the church, to be the church, to be missionally minded as a church, there is a grace that comes on your life because you are engaging, not just in an institution, but in a structure, in a system, and something that is incarnational where God became man in Jesus and fleshed this thing out to show us to what it's supposed to look like, that we are given grace and Holy Spirit power to walk this thing out, to stand against the wickedness of our day, to stand against the lawlessness of our day, and understand that the family and the church is the greatest mission that Jesus gives us tangibly in the earth to show his image. That's what it boils down to. Is the enemy is after the image of God, and who is made in the image of God, the family, and the church. We got um, me and Jody and Terry. We spent some time at the Ark Encounter Pastors Conference, and uh, we were just encouraged and um, by speakers that came in to uh, just really encourage pastors and leaders to have a, uh, a backbone in this time and in this present age. And um, you've heard and you know with the Ark Encounter, Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, which uh, we're really blessed to have in our backyard, in reach where we can go and, and have um, something. You know, what I'm thankful for is as I look into the future of the world that I'm raising my kids in, that we're raising all of our kids in. As you look into the landscape of Christian Education, which Answers in Genesis is a huge supporter and propagator of private Christian education. They actually started their own Christian school. Ken Ham's daughter, who is the founder, um, she has a heart and passion for Christian education, and she started a uh, Christian school called Twelve Stones Academy. Um, so she oversees that. It's it's a big part of of what they do, and they resource and um, they resource and equip local churches and pastors with uh, not just stories, and this was really something that Ken Ham hit on, is we've got to change our language because when we tell kids Bible stories, they're equating a story to something they see on Disney+, something they see on, in a children's program or network, that a story is just a fantasy. But we need to start referring to the Bible as not just Bible stories and give our kids Bible stories. And he goes back and, and shows patterns and charts and all these things to say that the reason we're in the mess we're in is because kids grew up on stories. They were never thought to think critically and to really get a biblical worldview They handle issues like politics, race, sexual identity, that kids were not equipped at a young age to really deal with the onslaught that we see happening in our classrooms, in our churches, um, and in the marketplace. You know, a statistic that was given to is kids, if you're going to get them, the age group to get a biblical worldview ingrained in them is the most powerful age where they're the most receptive is between ages three and 13, ages three and 13 that we've got to teach kids the word of God. You know, we have a, uh, started a really an intensive Bible class at, at ZCA and it's a biblical worldview curriculum for our middle schoolers. And our director, Kathy, she sent me uh, a text this week as they were in Bible class, and it was just um, questions that kids had in regards to baptism. They were on the subject of water baptism. And the questions that, that these middle schoolers were asking were not typical questions you would think a middle schooler would ask, that they are thinking deeply about this. Am I saved if I haven't been water baptized? If, if I don't have parents because I don't have a license that can take me to church and where I can't be a part of the church, am I responsible because my parents don't take me to church? These are the kind of questions these kids are asking. And when you, when you get into the real and into the raw of conversations kids are having, conversations that they're watching other kids have on TikTok and everywhere where young people and kids are, um, See, we all had it easy. We just had Facebook to deal with. Now you gotta deal with TikTok. Now you gotta deal with reels and short stories, clips, attention spans. Um, But there is a hungering for truth. And I'm just preaching as I feel the Holy Spirit lead me uh, this morning in regards to family. You know, when we were at the conference too, the last session, um, which was just reinforcing Really where I feel we're at is a church About Three and a half months ago I preached a message as we were in the book of 1 Corinthians where We preached through Acts chapter 17 And Acts chapter 17 is Where Paul goes to Mars Hill Where he goes to the Areopagus Where he contends And he reasons and he debates uh, With the lead Thinkers uh, and Thought leaders of his day And you remember in Acts chapter 17, it says he walks through and he sees all of these pagan gods, all of these Greek gods to this and to that and to this and to that because there's gods for everything. And he sees the inscription to an unknown God. And he uses that to say, well, the unknown God, I'm I'm about to tell you this unknown God that you have not labeled yet. And so Paul uses the environment he's in and he's able to then present the gospel, uh, and you even see—I think uh, you have it down at the bottom of your list there, Christian. You'll see in Acts chapter 17, uh, I think in verse 33 or so, um, that when he began to preach, and this is what uh, he preached, and he—what uh, you would see is—is is if go down to verse 36, I believe it is. And what you'll see in there is that uh, some believed. So some walk away believing, okay, we can we can believe Paul. Others came and they said, this is pure foolishness. We, we're we not doing this. This is crazy. Who do you think you are? And then some just began to banter and to mumble and say, who does this guy think he is? So there was critique and, and criticism. And the point Ken Ham was, was getting to, and again, this reinforces, you can go back and listen to the message but we don't live in a Acts 2 world anymore. And what he, said, what he means by that is in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached. We see Pentecost. We see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see repentance. We see 3,000 believers saved in a day, in a service, in a moment. And where he was getting to is, is those days were the days of Billy Graham, where arenas would be packed, the gospel would be preached, altars would be filled, people would repent, lives would be changed. Really no reasoning in play, no questioning. Um, Jesus would be preached, hearts would be pricked, and destinies would be changed. And he recounts a time when Billy Graham came to Australia and and shares of that moment. But then he gets into the present world we live in today of where we don't live in an Acts two time anymore to where arenas can be filled, the gospel preached, and people say, "Yay." I want to follow Jesus. But we live in an Acts 17 world that you have to reason. When you say follow God or even follow Jesus, then you have to define, well, what is your flavor of Jesus like we talked of last week? What is the fictitious Jesus that you've picked picked up through culture or that you just come to uh, uh, check a box on Christmas and on Easter and throw God a bone here and there? that there's so many versions and flavors and understandings of Jesus that if we as the church are not well-versed, we don't know the word of God and know where man's word has come into play to uh, usurp, to stretch, and to rob what God's word is, then a generation is not going to get the fullness and not gonna come into a right, real relationship with Jesus because when you say you need to follow Jesus, it's a shoulder shrug. Why do I even need Jesus? That you've got to be able to give an account for your faith. You've got to have answers. We live in a world where just have faith or just follow Jesus does not cut the bill anymore. Now, if kids are in an environment where they're being discipled in the home, private Christian education, then you're going to have more of those moments. But if you're trying to reach a kid or a teenager or a young adult who's never grown up in any kind of formation, spiritual formation, any kind of environment, follow Jesus, they're going to laugh at you. You got to say, well, who is Jesus? And give an answer. You got to be able to look at cultural moments and say, this is the result of sin and take it all the way back to the creation story of where sin entered into the world. And so half-baked faith, half-hearted Christianity, a a Christianity that is not a lifestyle, is not going to change the world. And so when we look at what is required of us and what is expected of us as Christians, getting back to the topic today, it comes into the unit of a family. Just as the greatest attack is on and the greatest conflict is on the family and is on the church. I honestly believe with all of my heart, the place we will see a revival that will actually change lives is not the preacher in the pulpit. We've seen that. There will be moments and scenes of that, I believe. But real revival is gonna take place in the family. And in families befriending other families, there can be conversation, there can be dinners, there can be coffee. There can be moments of meeting people where they're at and seeing what a godly family looks like. Now, here's the hope we have, too, is families are not perfect. Christian families are not perfect, right? A lot of the times our families don't look any different on the surface than what the world looks like. Christian families are blended families. Christian families have issues, generational things. There is tension. There is friction. There is brokenness that just because you are a Christian family, just because you go to church, just because you repent, doesn't make you prone from the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your family. You've gotta fight. You've gotta pick up your sword. You've gotta do what's right consistently. You've gotta walk in obedient love that Jesus loves me so much that out of that, I wanna walk in his ways, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it doesn't make sense. And when we think of, of family and how it's the building block of society. We're not going to get into all this today. You know, I'll lead you where you can find it in God's word, but you've got to understand the roles of family. And when you look at at movements that our country has had, and specifically the sexual revolution in the 60s, 70s, you begin to see in America alone is where a lot of the undermining and debilitating the debilitating of family began. Think of it this way too. And there's statistics and there is uh, studies that show this. Actually, there is a study I want to um, share with you. I've given you the resource of a book by Noel Baring called Awake Not Woke, which really speaks biblical truth and how to um, handle all of the wokeism that we see in our culture, that we see rising up in the church and how to see where it came from, see where it presently is, and then to get a prophetic forecast of where it's going. And there was a study done in regards to um, the sexual revolution. And this study uh, was done by a uh, socialist anthropologist. So he studied societies, how they worked, what flourished, what didn't flourish. Uh, you can look it up. His name is J.D. Udwin, a social anthropologist, and her books talk about it. And she went, or he went, and he surveyed and uh, got, in within a span of 15 years, 86 different societies and civilizations all around the world to get a forecast of, of what causes flourishing in societies and cultures. And as he... Uh, came to his findings and and wrote of them and released them, Uh, one of the, the, the things, actually the top of the chart, was in regards of the topic of sexual freedom and how that creates either the decline or the flourishing of a culture, and that this was the single most influential factor. And to put it in a language, and then I'll define it, his findings were this, is that chastity, with monogamy, caused flourishing. So chastity before marriage, uh, a society that upheld chastity, and then uh, within marriage, there was fidelity, and then marriage was monogamy, so it was one man and one woman. That societies that upheld chastity, that there was no bending or breaking or wide embracing of marriage being redefined, but it was between one man and one woman that there was flourishing uh, in those cultures in those civilizations in those mindsets. And so you look then what his findings were there. Fast forward to 2022, we live in a world that does not value chastity, does not value fidelity and monogamy is no longer the way forward. It's you live by your feelings, your truth, However you see love to be love, that's your prerogative. And so everything's been redefined. Everything has been shaken. And here's the beauty of where we're at. Because you can get hopeless and heartless when you see everything going on in the world. Everything going on in the church. Because the church is not exempt. The church and the family unit, Christian churches, Christian families are actually in crisis right now. Of what do we do with this stuff? How do we work through it, how do we work our kids through it, how do we walk them through it, how do we deal with this in our marriage? That there's all of these conversations happening. And in my opinion and in my firm conviction, if the church is not speaking loudly on these things, then somebody else will. And whoever speaks the loudest shapes the culture. So the church has to speak loud. But when you speak loud, it matters how you speak. Because the church is also a hospital for those that are hurting, those that are struggling in their sexual identity, those that uh, are in a place of brokenness, broken families, broken relationships, that when they come into the church, they should be able to find the answers they're looking for. And it might not be all in one 45-minute subject or one 45-minute topic or one 45-minute sermon, but Jesus should be preached and conviction should come. What did we talk of last week? When the glory of God comes, a weight comes. And that weight is like a vice. And when that vice is around the heart of a person, that which is not of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit surfaces, is defined, and then ultimately in the presence of God is dethroned. Because the power of God will always outweigh any cultural topic, any cultural moment, any wrong perversion, any wrong thinking. You just got to get them into the presence of God And then as the presence of God comes, then the process of God comes to then have a conscience, to then reason, to know the faith, to give answers to the faith, and for the truth to shine bright. That's why we're called to be salt and to be light. Being salt and being light, being uh, the hands and feet of Jesus is not an easy task and not an easy work. And honoring God in our families um, is not an easy task and an easy work. You can look at a range of other studies as I read through them, the common theme I, I saw was that the goal of the sexual revolution was to get to men. And as it got to men, it would make, uh, it would make for men that it's so easy to, uh, to get it, men into sexual promiscuity. So what, it, what am I saying here? Is the thought process was, how can we make it easy for men to be lulled asleep? Because men in, in the home are the protectors. They're the um, defenders. So if we can get men addicted to pornography, if we can get men uh, in sexual perversion, if we can rock the marriage, get infidelity in the home, then as infidelity gets in the home, the kids, a uh, divided home uh, gets birthed. The kids get rocked in the tension of that divided home. And then the nuclear family begins to suffer and a strain is put on and then a range and a domino effect of issues begins to happen. This is the world and this is the America that we live in today. You also look, another study was done and um, and again, you, you need to know these because you got to put your, your thumb on the root of where this stuff comes from and know to, how to identify it because again, you have to define it to dethrone it. So you've gotta be able to go back to have a starting point to where you see a lot of what we deal with today, where it started from. There was a, an organization known as NOW, National Organization of Women. Very liberal, very progressive, started in the sexual revolution. And in Noel Baring's book, Awake Not Woke, she uh, mentions this and she mentions an article that was written in 2018 um, by Mallory Millet she was the founder and the leader of, of now National Organization of Women, and when she passed, her sister, um, Kate Millett, uh, wrote an article about the beginnings and what she remembers seeing, uh, at the, at the formation of this organization, and, and there was a credo or a litany of, of responses um, that were said at the beginning of every meeting, and she puts down what these these responses were. Um, so the leader of this group would say, why are we here today? And then everybody in this meeting would say, to make a revolution. How? By destroying the family. And then they would say, by destroying the patriarchs of family, by destroying monogamy, by promoting promiscuity, and by promoting prostitution and homosexuality. So see, going back to J.D. Udwin's findings, he would then say that the fullness of the effects of the sexual revolution would not be felt and would not flourish until three generations. So this was not just, let's get it all done now in, in, in five years. It was saying, how can we shape 50 years from now? How can we shape, you know, beyond our generation? So it was an us being archetyped and a part of this experiment that what we see today is now the results of what was happening then. And see, the list can go on and on of movements and revolutions because the war of today is a war of ideas, ideologies. We live in the tension and the thickness of that. And if you think the church should not be speaking into and quite frankly leading what the leading view of what family should be, Uh, because God created it, of what marriage should be. Hey, God created that too. And what church should be, what community should be. See, there's this idea that if we just shut up and keep faith within the four walls of the door, then we can be safe here, and then we just don't really talk about it out there, and everything just, we can kind of coexist, and you live your truth, I live my truth. We can all be happy and find this utopia. Because at the root of everything I just read to you, it's to find this utopia that exists outside of of Jesus, outside of the way he designed family, outside of his church being uh, his body here on the earth. You know, you read Romans, and there's this analogy of where it talks about suppressing the truth. And if you think, I heard this analogy at the conference of, you try to take an inflated beach ball, for an example, and you try to push it, uh, maybe you see your kids do it, where you try, to, you try to push it under the water and keep it down, but it's full of air, so you're slipping and sliding, trying to keep it down. Eventually, that truth is going to come popping out. So we live, we live and have lived and do live in a world that is trying to keep the truth suppressed, trying to shut the church up, trying to shut families up trying to shame you, guilt you, and condemn you if you still call yourself a Christian. But see, it's not so overt. You don't catch it a lot of the times. A lot of it is very covert. It's very subtle. It's you getting fired and not knowing why. It's maybe a uh, your product's no longer selling in this environment. Maybe uh, your kid's getting blacklisted in school and not knowing why. There's... Weapons and strategies we know that the world uses to shut the church of Jesus Christ up. You see, the Bible also talks about that when the world gets to this place, is there's empty futility and a darkened mind, and it's energized by demonic doctrine. We live in a world today that it gets its energy from a demonic doctrine that is not of God. And when you see and you bring the gospel into the situation, going back to our big idea, is the only flourishing human beings will ever experience is when they are rightly related to the Father. Here's the good news, we have the answers. We have the joy, we have the peace, we have the faith. We're a world that is so ridden and depressed, a world that is so fearful. We need to open our mouths and say, we have the solution. We know what family is supposed to look like because God's words teaches us and tells us this. We know what marriage is supposed to be, how we forgive, how we care for one another, how we work through dysfunction because we have the power of God. We have the Holy Spirit. But as I said last week, we don't experience the fullness of these things because we have divided hearts, because we have idols that try to keep us divided from fully surrendering, letting go, and trusting God. I haven't even been using my notes, so I have no idea where I'm at, but we'll find it. I told you, I'm preaching it like I feel it. You know, Jesus' Jesus's, uh, sentiment on family, again, going back to the beginning, is uh, there's a call to forsake. I mean, again, you look at the things Jesus says, and I want you to look closely Um, In Mark chapter 10, you'll see where the rich young ruler, and this was a detail I I didn't catch until recently, is, okay, we know we live in a world that doesn't want the truth, and if it does want the truth, it has to be so watered down, sugared down, it has to be neutered where it's unoffendable, which in and of itself doesn't even exist. So we see uh, in Mark chapter 10 with the rich young ruler, it says that he... This rich young ruler comes to Jesus, looking for how am I to be saved? What is salvation, and how do I find it in you? And you see where Jesus affirms him. He says, "You know the the commandments," and he lists some of the Ten Commandments. says, "You got these things." So Jesus is encouraging, um, and you even see that Jesus says he looked at him with love. So the Bible was very clear, the heart of Jesus that he did have compassion that. He knew what he was about to ask of him was going to strike him. And so we see Jesus was loving before he presents the answer or presents the truth. Jesus gets to the point of of the matter of what it is that will save him and set him free. And Jesus says, you've got to give everything you have to the poor. Sell all you have and give to the poor. See, Jesus was touching the idol that was in his heart. That was subtle, but also very blaring. And you see what happens at the end of the story that the rich young ruler didn't say, yes, I'll, I'll give it up. But it says he walked away sad. And see, this is the point of I believe where breakthrough can happen in family is we've got to approach situations with deep Jesus-like love and make sure that our homes are places of love. But we can't compromise the truth if we turn our children away sad if we turn friends away, sad. If we turn coworkers away, sad. That I think we live in a world that just doesn't know how to operate if we don't have X amount of friends, if we don't have X amount of followers, if we don't have this platform, this stage, this person liking me. And we live in the fear of man more than we do the fear of God. And if we're gonna see a revival happen, there has to be a, a, a reorienting to the fear of God. But the fear of God is not burdensome, it is freeing. Because when things are brought into the light, that's where things change. If the rich young ruler could have received what the Son of God was telling him, everything in his life could have changed. He would have found wealth far greater than the gold and silver and precious rubies that he had. Because the Son of God was standing there. And the the weight that we carry, the treasure that we carry is... We are in the business, we are in the work of saving souls, of saving people, because here's the beauty of the human person. The human person never dies. We are eternal beings. And again, what if the enemy was after that which was most valuable, it's not gold and silver. It's not resources and products that planet Earth can produce. It is after the only thing that is eternal in this life, which is the human person, because it is the image of God. And so when you see as fathers and mothers even in your relationship to children as we are raising up image bearers that the first gospel Daniel, Eleanor, and Luke our children will ever see is mom and dad loving each other. Is how are we correcting them? How are we disciplining them? Are we forgiving? Are we creating a home that is a little church? because we are the priests, kings, and prophets of our home, scripture tells us. And it all should be happening in that unit. That's why God created it that way. And then when we gather in church, it is a celebration of the resurrection. It's not everything falls on the pastor or the children's workers because you're not doing your job at home. And don't get me wrong, it is a job. It is a work. You just can't have faith and expect it all to happen. You gotta get your hands dirty. You gotta get down on your knees. You're gonna get some blisters. You're gonna have sleepless nights, but it is worth it in the end because you are caring and valuing that which is most important to God, that which is eternal, how we love our spouses, how we care and love and protect our children. And see, Jesus always affirms that there's a sword that's going to come because I think, I know he knew how much of a a grasp and, and an idol potentially family can be that Again, your allegiance has to be fully and foremost to him, not to family, but to him. But in that, there is a freedom to say, as he is first and foremost in my life, I'm gonna be properly oriented to where it's not gonna be stuff and fun and hobbies and this idea of family time absent of God, absent of faith, absent of walking things out with the people of God, with the family of God because family even goes beyond your biological family. Us here together, we are a spiritual family that reinforces what we're learning and teaching and living in our families. You then get your kids in a Christian discipleship education program and then they're getting that from eight to three every day, that there's things we do intentionally on purpose that do cost us in order to reinforce God's word. And we live in a world today again that is not Acts 2, Jesus preached, thousands are saved, though it can happen. Uh, God is sovereign and overall. But as you look at the landscape of where we live, it is a battle of ideas. That God's word, first and foremost, by an atheist, by someone who doesn't believe, isn't even seen as authoritative, though it is to you and I. And then you get in the church. This is just, again, the web of a mess. You get in the church. Then there's debates and debacles of what this scripture means and what that scripture means and Your interpretation versus my interpretation. And we get in such a place of disunity. And see, if we're going to see God's presence move, people's lives change, a divided world needs a united church. And we've got to put a precedence on being united around the things that God cares about, that is heavy to Him, that carries the weight of our eternity. And my heart is, we're in 2022 as we see these cultural worlds, as we see these wars of ideas, as we see the attack on the institution of family and of marriage and of the church, is that you keep God's words first. You keep his presence. You keep a passion for his presence because his spirit is the one that's gonna prick you to say, this is just information. This is just knowledge. This is just another message on how the world has died and gone to hell but the solutions we need are found in there. But they just remain words on a paper until you apply them, until you walk them out, until you live them, until you engage with them, until you practice them. See, I look at at my level of knowledge five years ago and I am a completely different person in my understanding and my knowledge because times and seasons of wrestling with these things made me stronger, made me a better father, made me a better husband. And there has to be this point of a better pastor. Um, Can't leave that out. There has to be these points of of decision to say, I'm going to wrestle with this until I see God's blessing in it. Again, not just a financial breakthrough, he does, but a blessing of God's word has become so real to me in this moment. It is literally through repentance. I am changing my thinking. I am changing how I walk this thing out. I am changing what is valuable and what is important. But as you repent, it's daily. It's 70 times seven. And it's a constant washing and the watering of the word. And so there has to be a revival of going back to God's word. If we're going to build spirit-filled families that have a biblical worldview that are going to change the world, that ultimately are gonna create a world within the family where change and forgiveness and grace and mercy and truth is that which is normal, not foreign, it comes to a place of saying, I am drawing a line in the sand and I'm gonna trust God that I'm still gonna get it wrong because I'm going to fail as a husband, I'm gonna fail as a pastor, I'm gonna fail in all of these areas. But what what do we do when we fail? We don't fail back a righteous person falls down 7 gets up 8 you're righteous guess what you got up that's the mark is you get back up because you're going to fail and when you fail there's going to the enemy is going to come and he's going to whisper he's going to say oh that shame is way too heavy you've already screwed up with one of your kids who do you think you are to try with again you're you screwed up when your kids were young Now you have adult children, so just shut up and let them live their life. The enemy has a way of being very blunt and reminding you of all your past and all your failures. Well, the good news is today, when you bring it before Jesus, guess what? He throws it in a sea of forgetfulness and he no longer holds it against you anymore. And you can approach it with a clean slate. And one of the most powerful things you can do as a husband and as a father is stay in a place of forgiveness with your spouse, your wife, and stay in a place of forgiveness with your kids. That ego, bravado, pride uh, is not how you walk and carry and lead your home, but it's being the first to admit, you know, I was wrong here. Will you forgive me? And there's something, it's just like an oil that begins to drip down over your home and over your family. To then where, because it's rightly ordered, Everything just begins to click and unlock. Conversation opens again. Grudges aren't held. And what I'm saying is when you get into God's word and you see the way he designed it, going back to the big idea is we will only flourish when we are rightly related to the father. The enemy wants to kill that relationship. He wants to sever it. He wants to divide it and he wants to enthrone idols to keep you blocked, to keep you distracted, to keep you destroyed ultimately. Pete, Stan, I wanna pray with you this morning. My heart is that you take not what man's word says, not what the world says of how we should be building our families, because everyone's got a role to play, that's the beauty. It's not just dad's job, it's not just mom's job, everyone has a part to play. And even in our spiritual family, we all have a part to play. But the first part you gotta do is you gotta show up. You gotta open your mouth. You gotta open God's word. You can't be scared of truth or scared of change, but embrace it and watch how God can literally, if he can change you presently, then that causes an echo effect to change things generationally, to change things in your legacy. We say it all the time. Yes, there's generational curses, but what destroys the back of a generational curse is a generational choice. And families can be so weighed down with generational things where you don't even feel like you can blast off or propel into being sold out for Jesus because you have this past that's constantly reminding you. Or even if you came to faith later in life, in your adult years, and you have this arbitrage of a past that's trying to weigh you down and to keep you bound, you gotta let it go and say, today is the first day of the rest of my life. That's whenever you repent, that's where refreshing can come. And what I wanna pray about right now, we can just bow our heads and focus on Jesus is I just want a refreshing to come in your spirit, a refreshing to put off the problems that we deal with every day, culture, wars, 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 politics, all the things that try to compete for our attention, our time, our affections, idols, the things we've been talking about. If you can just throw those things off and say, Jesus, I just want you. Jesus over everything, over my shame, over my pain, over my guilt. You're over my condemnation. You're over sin. You've conquered hell, you've conquered the grave. Father, The resurrected king wants to resurrect that which we think is lost, is broken, is too far gone. Father, I pray that a refreshing of resurrection power is released in our families, in our marriages. Where grudges have been held for years, decades, we speak and thank God in advance for breakthrough. Where fear has kept us bound to Talk about that which is important. Talk about God, talk about how we view life and what God's word says of how we're to be formed and to worship, to pray. God, break those walls down where wholesome, heartfelt, Holy Spirit-filled conversation can take place. Because it's only when we communicate can things change. So Father, we thank you that you're doing a work. That you love family, you designed family. God, we just ask that even as we look into the future with our children, with babies that haven't even been born yet, with grandparents and great-grandparents, all of the synergy that exists between generations, God, that it be about one thing, one person and it be about Jesus because time is short, urgency is at hand. Jesus is coming again, He's coming for a pure and spotless bride, and it's only through the blood of Jesus are we made pure and are we made spotless. So, Father, right now we bring our sin and we lay it down. Past, our present, we thank you that grace can cover our future that nothing is outside of your mercy and of your grace. We release it. Forgive us of our sin. Be Lord of that area of our life, specifically today. Be Lord, rule and reign King Jesus over our families. You're the chief shepherd and we're shepherds underneath you. God, I pray for refreshing. Let the shame go, the fear go, the feelings of I've tried that, I've failed, I've tried again, I've failed. But God, we are engaging back in this thing with your power, with your word, with your ways, with your spirit. We have the blueprint to not do it perfectly. You don't say I'm well done, perfect servant well done, good, and faithful. We wanna be faithful with what you've given us, not ignorant, but faithful. So Father, link us together in faithfulness. We believe as we continue on in the series, we're gonna see breakthrough. We're gonna see your spirit poured out over our families, over our prayer life, over our worship, and things begin to change. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody said
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.